This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Motor Auctions. Has your car shit itself? Then you've got to go with Alliance. It's the easiest way to buy a quality car at a very competitive price. Located in Moorbank, New South Wales. Call 02-9822-7200 or visit www.allianceauctions.com.au South Coast Window Furnishings. Have your window furnishings shit themselves? Then you've got to get in touch with SCWF. They service the south coast of New South Wales from Wollongong to Bermagui. Give Jamie a call for a free quote on 0408 812 007 or like them on Facebook at South Coast Window Furnishings. Elite Sports Physiotherapy. Has your back or another part of your body shit itself? Then look no further than ESP. Established in 2006, Elite Sports Physiotherapy provides physiotherapy and massage services to the people of Melbourne. Located on the mezzanine level, 13-15-1 Freshwater Place in Southbank, Melbourne. Give them a call on 03-8640-0328 or visit elitesportsphysio.com.au today. Also, special thanks to verse.com.au for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. Cheers. Hello there. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is former Australian and Victorian cricketer Merv Hughes. Big Merv and I caught up at one of his favourite haunts, the bustling Andy's Cafe there in Essendon. Uh, a bit different to my normal episodes. There's a lovely bit of cafe ambience going on in the background. Merv and I had a great chat. We talked about his early days, his time in the Australian team, and what he's been up to post-retirement. This is Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Merv Hughes, thanks for taking it easy with me today. How are you? Yeah, I'm always taking it easy. Yeah, no, good. All good. <laughs> you beauty. I must say, this is very cool for me, straight off the top. My first cricket bat I ever owned, it was a county Merv Hughes hero. <laughs> <laughs> the first... Was that the Illuminous Green? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they, they were big, big, big back in the day. <laughs> yeah. The uh, first uh, professional cricketer I ever shook the hand of was yourself when I was about 15 at Marnica Oval. Okay. Right? Yeah. So the... Quite fitting that the first cricketer I ever have on my podcast is yourself, oh, Merv Hughes. There you go. Yeah. Um, those cricket bats. You don't see many fast bowlers with a with a, a cricket bat brand. How did that come about? Um, we just got lucky. Uh, probably <laughs> I, was, I was the only player contracted to county at the time, oh, right. um, and it, that came off the back of the that I call it that Test match in Perth, um, where it took eight for and five for so thirteen for the the game. And yeah. um, it, it just blew up from there. Right. Because you, you, you had a 72 not out, didn't you? In, uh, in yeah, 70, 72 not out later that series. Mm. Um, so that was the last test in Adelaide. Um, but that, yeah, that was up and going before then off, off the back of the bowling. So, <laughs> right. you know, it was, uh, <laughs> it's quite funny that you bring it up. Uh, Damien Fleming reminds me of it all the time. Yeah. So he had the hero and the slogger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 53 test matches for Australia. 33 one-dayers. Um, what age did dreams of playing for Australia come into your into your mind? Oh, I, I reckon from as soon as I started playing cricket. I yeah. suppose um, as a kid, Dad always played cricket, so um, I was always drawn to cricket. And, and Aussie rules, football, basketball, tennis, yep. pretty much pretty much all sports. And, and growing up in country Victoria, um, all sports were available. So, mm. 
you know, from Little Lass on a Sunday morning that's that's disappeared now. Yeah, I reckon you might even might be a little bit young for I, Little Lass. I, I did the, I did it a couple of times actually. Yeah. It was it was probably yeah I was probably the last yeah. year of so we used to um, Little Lass during the winter, uh, swimming in the summer, mm-hmm. um, and I was normally Saturday mornings, and then you got into your, your football, cricket, basketball, um, tennis. So whatever was going. Um, just you just wanted to get involved in it. Yeah. I suppose you just stick to those sports that, that you enjoy more. Yeah. And the, the ones you enjoy more, obviously, the ones you're better at. So, sort of narrowed the the field to Aussie rules football and and cricket. And then uh, playing cricket really wasn't my choice, to be honest. <laughs> um, so as a 17, 18 year old, I was playing in the old VFA, which is now the VFL in Victoria. And in those days, there was. Uh, the zoning, not the draft as is today. So mm-hmm. living in Werribee, I was tied to Geelong. Mm-hmm. Um, got invited down to Geelong to train, and and got down there and probably wasn't as good as I thought I was, okay. <laughs> um, and got pushed aside. And around the same time, I'd made the move from sub district cricket at Werribee to Footscray. There was a bloke by the name of Ron Gaunt, who was a, a former Australian fast bowler, who was bowling coach at Footscray. And I got down there, and I I, I left Werribee in my mind as a middle order batsman part-time bowler mm. and got down to, to Footscray and um, I said right what do you, yeah, what do, you do I'll bat and bowl a bit have a bowl in this net I reckon I bowled three balls and uh, Ron Gaunt came over and said right you don't bat anymore you're a bowler is that right yeah, so, he just saw something there yeah mate I just had decisions made for me it was, <laughs> it was really easy so <laughs> don't fight it just just, yeah, yeah. just do what you're told yeah. who was your favourite player as a kid when you were watching cricket oh, mate growing up the, the big three for me were Dennis Lilly, Rod Marsh, and Ian Chappell. Yeah, yeah. That so was, quintessential. I was always destined to grow a moustache, wasn't yeah. I? <laughs> um, but, yeah, Dennis Lilly's a, the greatest fast bowler I've, I've ever seen yeah. um, in my lifetime. He's, he's fantastic. Ian Chappell was just is a fantastic leader, um, tough and tough and gritty and yeah. determined. And, and Rod Marsh, um, yeah, the, the three amigos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they were fantastic. So I, that's the era that I grew up on uh, watching and probably had players from other countries too that, that I love watching. So Clive Lloyd from the West Indies. Of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, Bob Willis. I really admired what he did for England. He wasn't, wasn't the greatest player, um, mm. but just big heart and just worked uh, hard. Yeah. So just loved, loved his style of play. I grew up playing cricket. I played from eight till... 15. I oh, sorry, 8 till 21, 22. Yeah. I tried to bowl as fast as I could all the time. <laughs> as all of yeah. my mates did as well. We all tried really hard to bowl quickly. Yeah. Was there something you were shown when you were 17 or 18 the like oh. technique or did you just have a you no, just had the right probably, probably just just playing sport all the way through and and also as I said I reckon football was my first preference. So cricket just played cricket during, during the summer. It didn't really take a back seat. But um, when it came to a time where football was encroaching on cricket, cricket was encroaching on football. Mm. Um, it was good that that decision was made for me. That okay, you're, you're probably not good enough to be here at Geelong. And at that time, I got picked to, to be in the state squad. And it, it depends your maturity, both physical and mental. Yeah. Because you, you see the guys in in under twelves, under fourteens that are big and strong and bowl fast, mm. and in the under sixteens they're, they're the same height as they were in the under twelves. Yeah. All of a sudden they're not bowling that fast. Um, so I was probably a, a late developer, and also fourteen, fifteen, um, I grew probably had spurts of about six inch inches of growth each year. Wow. So I just got taller, and yeah, I was always taught about technique. Mm. Um, and if you're running and trying to bowl fast, probably your technique's not. 
the the best going around. It's yeah. just trying to get the the ball down as as fast as you can. So early on, I was just taught to bowl uh, nice and straight and at the stumps and up over the top, get a bit of bounce. And I suppose that stands in good stead as you as you get older. Yeah. So when I was 17, 18, uh, grew a little bit. Yeah, just everything came together. Yeah, nice. Before you made your uh, state debut for Victoria. And you're coming through the ranks. Did you? What jobs did you do uh, on the side? I worked. I was working in a sports store. So I left school. Um, I worked at at a clothing factory in Werribee, which is now closed down. I mm-hmm. certainly hope I wasn't to blame for that. <laughs> and Cahill. So I worked there for for a couple of years, and then um, left there. Worked in Forges in Footscray. Yeah. So in the in the uh, men's land in the uh, men's uh, wear department. And then left there and, and worked in a sports store down at Werribee. So I grew up in Werribee and virtually got the job at the sports store at Werribee because I was thinking about going back up to Myrtleford, northeast, to play football. Oh, yeah. I'd been invited back up there to play footy. And uh, the president of the Werribee Footy Club I was playing down there was the owner of the sports store, Dove Sports mm. Store. So he said, right, what do yeah. you need? A job, right, come and work here. So, <laughs> yeah. so I got a job, worked in a sports store for a couple of years <laughs> and uh, that just kept me down in Werribee, which was... Probably the thing to do, because if I had gone back up to Myrtleford to, to play football, um, the cricket would have really taken a back seat. Yeah, right. The, and when you started playing state cricket for Victoria, 81, 82, did you, could you just quit your job then, or did you, did you need to keep no, working on the side? No, need to keep working. Yeah. Even, even when I first got into the Australian side, yeah, yeah, right, I was yeah. very semi-professional back then, very mm. much semi-professional. Um, so I got into, into the Victorian side, and I, I was still working at the sports store, so in and out of the sports store, and then I, I went to England in 83 on a scholarship, an SA scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, and an SA scholarship was very much, at the time, I suppose, um, akin to now playing in the Australian under-19s. It was, um, you've been identified as a promising young cricketer. Mm-hmm. Um, you spend six months in England uh, yeah. playing in those conditions. So I went over there, learned a hell of a lot. Had Mike Deness, former English captain. Oh, yeah. Captain as um, the seconds at Essex. Played at Essex and... Fletcher was there, Duncan Fletcher, um, he was captain, Graham Goose was playing there, Derek Pringle. So they had a lot of good players and you trained with them occasionally, you didn't spend a whole lot of time with them, didn't mm. see them a, a whole lot, but got to play one game against New Zealand there and um, yeah, just just playing first class cricket in England. You'd think it'd be the same everywhere, but totally different conditions. Yeah, right. And did you, as a quick, did you find you enjoyed those conditions a bit more than um, here? No, not really. The, the wickets were a little bit slow, but um, we played New Zealand and, and basically most counties rest all their, their senior players. Mm-hmm. A, they play a hell of a lot of cricket over there and um, I was doing okay in the seconds. They had to get um, special permission off um, ECCB for me to play. And uh, played played the game, really enjoyed it. So yeah. it, was, it was good fun. But Take, yeah, just I, I learned a hell of a lot over there, mm. um, and especially under Mike Deness as the captain, um, he was he was fantastic. So mm. four and a half months over there under his leadership was yeah, it was a real eye opener. Yeah, me. and then that before you made your Test debut, you had about four or five years in the Victorian makeup. Yeah. During that time, could you think, geez, I'm I'm a chance to play for Australia here, or uh, was that yeah, thought ever in I your think, mind? I think you're more. I suppose you're, you're thinking about it because you're only one, one step away. Mm. But um, for me, I had a lot of injury troubles, so stress fractures to the backs, uh, to the back. And That's, is that yeah, common through? All, yeah, because all yeah. still the quicks are getting those yeah. today. Everyone thinks that uh, back injuries and stress-related injuries are a new thing to cricket because of how much they play. But mm. if you go you go into the MCG um, and have a look at the Dennis Lilly 
um, statue and mm. the plaque on that. He had he had uh, back problems back in 1972. Right. So yeah. what it is, it's a, a step up up in in class. You train more. You probably train more indoors, so you're on cement. Um, the wickets that you played on are better prepared, so they're harder. Mm. Um, and most most blokes that get into the, the state squad haven't physically developed, so you're still growing. Mm. Um, and, and the extra workload on on immature bones yeah. um, takes its toll. And but there's not too many fast bowlers that get selected for a, a state squad around Australia that don't have um, serious Fresh back problems. Yeah. yeah. So then in 85, 86, you make your debut for Australia, test debut at the Adelaide Oval against India. Yeah. Um, was it just a blur once you got in there and <laughs> played with players like Border and yeah. Booney? And it, 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 was a, it was a blur, to be honest. I'd, I'd um, made a decision to give football away. Mm. Um, so that 19, 1985 season, um, I actually travelled around Australia with a mate. Uh, so just uh, jumped in a car, took up off the, up the East Coast, across the Darwin, down the centre and home and gone for four and a half months and, and got back and it's the fittest I'd ever been. Mm. Um, so just trained the backside off while I was away. Got back, uh, so I was in the state squad. We started um, bowling and I'd, I'd been doing a fair bit of bowling up there just in indoor mm. centres and, and whatever and, and got back and started the season really well and 85, of course, was the year that we lost all those good senior players to the Rebel Tour. Yeah. So yeah. the door was wide open for anyone that was performing to get in. And, um, you know, there's a lot of players got in that st- at that stage that probably weren't ready to play. And I was one of those. Right, yeah. And then you go into your first test match saying just a blur. You, you go in confident because you've been doing well. I'd been doing well at, at Shield Cricket and got into that first test match. And just the, the difference in level... Just, it was unbelievable. Right. Uh, yeah. The margin for error against the, the Indian batsman, you know, Sonny Ugavaska was was unbelievable. Yeah. And, uh, Van Sarker and and, and they had a, a fairly good top five, mm. and it was my uh, yeah, no, it was just a, a little bit beyond me at that yeah, time. Right, yeah, right. So I, I walked away uh, one for hundred and twenty three off off 30, 34 overs, and. Basically, didn't think I bowled that badly. Yeah, right. So yeah, <laughs> you, you sit there and scratch your head, and you think, well, "What's going to happen when I bowl badly?" Yeah, yeah. But uh, had a talk. Ian, Carroll, I had, had a couple of really good mentors on the way through, and Ron Gaunt when I got to to Footscray, when I got into the States, got Max Walker was fantastic, and Ian Cullen mm-hmm. um, was a senior player then, and and he he virtually just uh, told me that the difference between the levels of the cricket is that at club cricket. You can bowl a bad ball every three or four overs and get away with it. At state cricket, you can bowl a bad ball every over and get away with it. Mm. And at international level, you can't bowl a bad ball. <laughs> so yeah, any bad right. ball you, you um, yeah. bowl just gets tapped if you're a little bit over over pitch or a little bit wide or a little bit leg side. So the margin for error um, on the better wickets against better players is minimal. And so after that test, did you... Because uh, you were in and out of the test team for a little while yeah. after that, did that make you go away and think, "Fuck, I've got to"? Did you work harder after that and think, "Yeah, yeah"? Well, I learned my first test match in Adelaide. Learned a hell of a lot under Bob Simpson. He he was that was his first test match as coach and a yeah. selector. And Alan Border was Alan captain Border at the time, was, wasn't it? Yeah, just appointed as, as captain mm. and and learn a hell of a lot. Learned from Bob Simpson how to train because mm. um, I, I just thought you put in the hours. So if you trained for three hours, that was good enough. But Bob Simpson was. Um, it's not the quantity of training you do, it's the quality. Okay. So if you train for three hours, 
you can't train at 100%. Mm, so yeah. you're better off training at 100% for 45 minutes yeah. and then walking away. Um, and, and that's how you improve. So put, put that into practice. And um, just a, a couple of things that I've learned from Alan Border and just to, to see that, you know, I always thought I was pretty tough and whatever, but mm. just to see his mental toughness yeah. um, and his determination, uh, you knew you just had to take it to another level. And, and do you think that having a bit of a rough first test with the, the figures and if, if you came out in that first one and got Pfeiffer and it was always, all easy, do you I, I think... Reckon, I reckon you always got to lo- um, lay the bar low, don't you? Start the right. bar low. Yeah, So yeah. If, you, if you go in and take Pfeiffer and, and make runs, like yeah. people expect it from you all the time. Yeah, yeah. So you, you take one for 123, make a fifth ball dark, drop a couple of catches. Yeah. No one expects anything from you, do they? So yeah. life becomes quite easy. Um, but on, on a serious note, after that first test match, I got on the plane, got dropped from the side. On the plane, you're just thinking, am I ever going to play again? Mm. Um, and then you've you got to go back, pick yourself up and, and play shield cricket. And obviously, if you're doing well in shield cricket, you're going to get back. And the level of professionalism with, like, you're getting driven everywhere in the Australian yeah. team, the buffets, all the great stuff that comes with it, is that just like a whole new, how well you're treated? Is free that just year. Yeah, free oh, Most importantly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's an in- interesting one because I, I reckon a few young players get caught up with the fringe benefits of playing mm. at a high level and they forget about what gets them those fringe benefits. Um, so I, I always... I always prided myself as as a hard trainer. Um, so, no matter no matter if it was you know 13 degrees and a little bit drizzly, or, or whether it was 40 degrees, if you trained, you trained. Um, and and I, I I probably had had that foundation because I was playing football and cricket. I didn't really have too much social time. And I reckon a lot of people ask what's the difference between being good and being better than good, and mm. it's just the amount of time that you put into it, and mm. also the sacrifices you're prepared to make. Yeah, right. So, you know, Thursday night, Friday night, when your mates are going out on the piss, mm. you, you really can't do that, can you? Yeah, yeah. Um, and when I first got down to Footscray, I'd go out, and like, I'd go out with the boys but not drink. You'd get through uh, um, okay. So, of course, I was always the first one to get a phone call to go out. They, <laughs> everyone needed to drive from wherever, didn't they? So we go on out, do you want to drive? Yeah, yeah. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. Do you read the papers much? Like whether oh, yeah. you're going yeah. bad or good? Um, I, you read. I, I still read the papers now, obviously, and, and certainly you read the papers, and you can't you can't get away from it. Mm. Um, and you get a lot of criticism from a lot of people. And I think it was Max Walker told me that mate, when you're playing, you're going to cop a lot of criticism. Mm. So have a look where the criticism's coming from. Now, most of the criticism comes from guys that have never played the game. So you, you think. Is that, that worth taking hold of? But the guys that have played the game, the criticism you get is constructive criticism. Mm. You know, right, he's doing this wrong, he's doing this wrong, he's doing this wrong. What he should be doing is this. And, and Ian Chappell um, wrote, a, after my first test match, wrote a pretty pretty hard article. Mm. And, and I actually read it. And he, he, was, he, was saying, he was pointing out what I was doing wrong and how I could do it better. Mm. And what I was doing wrong, how I could do it better. And I was doing, I was doing a lot wrong, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I used to take that around with me because, as I said, he was, he was one of my heroes when I was a kid. Mm. I used to carry that around for me for motivation. That's great, so yeah. Try, try to turn his view around of me. And after that first test, you'd, I deserved a, an absolute bake. Mm. Um, just, just wasn't ready for it. And I reckon 
the other test matches you get in and, and yes, you're nervous and you, you think you have to prove yourself. But, uh, mate, I, I sit back now and, and think all you have to do is go out and do what you've been doing. Mm. You don't have to impress anyone because yeah. you've already done that. You've been selected. So just go out, relax and, and do what you do. And that's easy to say now, bloody... 57 years old and been <laughs> retired for 20 years. But at the time, it's just a mountain to climb. Did you ever speak to Ian Chappell about that? Um, yeah, mate, for for a long time, um, like intimidated by him and, and whatever. And yeah, you speak to him now and yeah. not a problem. But um, because he was such a great leader mm. you know, and, and such a tough player, you, you sort of take what he says on board. Mm, yeah. but when, you, when you're getting criticised by guys... For me, that haven't played the game, and even now, I read articles by journalists that aren't so critical. Mm. Because I, I mean, how, how can you criticise someone for doing something that you've never done, and yeah. just say this is what he should be doing? No, you've yeah. got no you idea, mate. Because <laughs> if you had been, you wouldn't be writing; you'd be playing. Yeah. So, but the things that I learned along the way, um, and and stuck fat with me was when I first got down to Footscray. Ron Gaunt just said to me, this is probably a couple of months in, um, basically the harder you train in the easy times, the easier it becomes in the hard times. Right. Mm. So basically at training, when it's easy to slacken off, if you do that in a game situation where you need to be switched on, mm. you're not going to be prepared. So uh, that helped a lot. And, and just a, a general saying that I say to, me, to people now when I'm coaching, if you want to be better than the next bloke, do more. Mm. It's, it's that simple. So you get to training early, leave late. Um, Set of mm. training two nights a week, train three nights a week, uh, go on a run, you know, do your gym stuff. So you, you mightn't be better skilled, but um, you'll be better prepared. And that's mm. Lindsay James, who coaches at Footscray. His mantra was, we, might, we mightn't be the best team, but if we're the best prepared team, yeah. we're going to be a chance. Mm. Um, so he just worked on that theory of being mentally tough and, mm. and strong and uh, determined in the, in the competition. Yeah, I spoke to um, Christian Welch from the Melbourne Storm yeah. a few weeks back and he said Cameron Smith, who's most games oh. ever in rugby league, yeah. he's the first one out there at training and he's the last one to yeah. go off. Still now, 400 games in, still doing that same. Yeah. So you, you lead, and Cameron Smith's a great leader, and you, mm. you lead by example. No? Alan Border was the same. Um, Alan Border, like, when things were going tough, he, like, he was, while he was focused on getting a, a young team up and about, to watch the way that he trained, you just sort of sat back and thought, mate, you know, you're in the nets, like you'd be bowling at him, he'd be he'd be yapping you as, yeah. a, as a batsman just to try to get fired up. And you see, this this doesn't normally happen, does it? But um, yeah, just just to watch the greats of the way they go about it. And mm. More recent times, um, when I was selecting Ricky Ponting, there was talk in the media that he was he was getting a little bit. Old and when he and the talk was when's he going to retire and they were asking me and I said mate I don't see any signs of it he's first on the track he does more on the track mm. um, and when he was when he was captain towards the end of that when he was copying a lot of flack the thing that I loved about him was he probably sacrificed his game to get the best out of the team mm. so he was more focused on on getting the players right than getting him right yeah. so you know Ricky Ponting as good as he was probably would have been a better player individually if he wasn't was captain, captain because right. he, all he had to do was worry about his own game yeah. but as captain um, he, he did 
what was the right thing to do as captain. He, he worried about everyone else's well, game. So, yeah. you know, it, it probably hampered his game a little bit, but that's what that's what being a leader is about. Mm. Do you think that would be the same for AB as well if he oh, wasn't captain through no, that time? Without, without that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, at the time he, he got the captain, he's a reluctant captain. Bob Simpson was a coach. Uh, Bob Simpson got the team ready. Alan Border captain. And mm. Towards the end, AB, like, he was, he was tough. Um, if he gave you a spray, you... You deserved it, you know. And you just you didn't want to get on the bad side. <laughs> you just wanted to do everything right. Yeah. But um, yeah, of AB, like people, like that's what Australia have done over the last hundred years, I suppose. But uh, in my time, they pick out a, a captain who mm. can lead and who's who hasn't got an ego. Yeah. Um, who and what the trait they've got, they can almost remove themselves from the game. And make the best decision. Mm. And from from my time, from from Alan Border um, to to Mark Taylor to Steve War yeah. to Ricky Ponting to Michael Clark, mm. Steve Smith, and now Tim Payne, it's the, almost, lead, the leadership's been yeah fantastic. It's almost like something inside them has been passed yeah. on from each one. That the toughness no. and the Clark, for example, when he started out, you probably couldn't see that in him. Oh, then you, when it, you could but, if you were with the team, right? But okay. because he had the the blonde tips, and yeah, was, right. Like he loved the loved the life. He mm. he drank champagne. He didn't drink beer. Everyone said, "What's wrong with this bloke?" Yeah, yeah. But within within the group, virtually, he was selected with captaincy down the track in mind. Okay, yeah. Yeah. and I suppose in some ways a little bit like Travis Head now mm-hmm. is that you have a look at it. Although he got dropped for the last Test match in England, you still think. If he's not the future captain, who is? Right. So there's something there. Yeah, so there's something there. Steve Smith was the same. They just know the game. You're listening to Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Hey, before we go back to the podcast, I want to tell you about someone. That someone is Melbourne-based photographer Nicole Reid. One of the most sought-after photographers going around, Nicole has taken photos for all sorts of people. Comedians like Peter Hellyer and Anne Edmonds, musical acts like the Hilltop Hoods, and sports stars like Buddy Franklin. If you want to see how great her work is, I suggest you head over to her Instagram page. It's Nicole Reed Photographer. While you're at it, you may as well jump on her website, which is www.nicolereed.photography. Get in contact and book in a shoot today. Now let's get back to the podcast. When you were uh, coming through and you're in and out of the team early and you're playing state cricket, is it a fair rivalry between quicks, fast bowlers from other states? Because there's 20 of you going for the same kind of five jobs. Yeah, not really. I I suppose you keep your eye on what other blokes are doing. Mm. Um, But I think you do that anyway. And and when when you're playing, when you go out, when you step on the ground and play for Victoria, your thoughts aren't, Oh, if I take five weeks here, I might be a chance. Your mm. thoughts are, we've got to win this game. Yeah. Um, and if you get if you get too far ahead of yourself, or you start worrying about the outcome, and that's that's another one of my favourite sayings. It's not the outcome that's important; it's the process. So if I'm if I'm worried about taking wickets to to get back in the Australian side, you don't do the job that you're, mm. you're supposed to do. Now, if I'm I'm working in a state game, saying right, I've got to bowl off stuff, off stump every now and then, bowl a bouncer, bowl a yorker. Um, your process is in place mm. and you, you have your team meetings and your team plans against batsmen so you know what you're going to do mm. so if you're if you're over attacking a batsman just trying to take a wicket every ball then you're going to get hit for runs okay so yeah. it's important to, to stick with the process 
Were you, were you always intimidating, bowling coming through the ranks, or did that come later with age oh, as you got older? I don't, I don't think I was too intimidating when I first got into Shield cricket. <laughs> and I, I definitely wasn't that intimidating when I first got into, into international cricket. But you, you find your feet, you find your mm. level. Now, you go up a grade, and there's always going to be that self-doubt and, mm. and questioning whether to yourself whether you're good enough. Yeah. With the intimidation, you, you don't really see that anymore. I was watching a few of your old YouTube clips uh, last night and <laughs> just getting going really close up to the batsman, uh, giving them a piece of your mind. You, uh, don't, you don't see it much anymore. I, I guess Mitch Johnson sort of channeled you in that Ashes a few years ago where he was he took all those wickets and had the moustache. Yeah, grew the moustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think you more channeled Dennis Lilly than me, but I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting. It's a different game. It's a different mm. game. Like um, what's what's acceptable. Now mm. wasn't acceptable. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, well, what was acceptable then, not acceptable now. So, mate, some of the things that, like, I, I still run into guys that I played club cricket against. Mm. I remember me, and you look at them, they're like, oh, I played for Richmond, and I played my first game against Footscray, <laughs> and you just think this is not going to end well for me. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you just gave to me. And Andrew McDonald is a is a classy. Like yeah. he's coaching Victoria now, and. Um, I, I coached him in uh, Victorian under 19s. Mm. And he, I remember me. And I said, oh, no. He said, oh, I played my first game. I was playing for North Melbourne then. <laughs> said, oh, and your first game against Footscray, yeah. How'd you go? You blokes were just priests. <laughs> and you were the biggest. <laughs> what would we do? Like, he was, he was a 15 year old. No one wanted to open, so he opened the batting. <laughs> he said, mate, it was just putrid what you did. I, I'm just thinking, yeah, yeah, probably. I, I would have hated to play it against Footscray, and I would have definitely hated to play against myself. It, it wouldn't have been good. But, see, some of the feedback you get, you just think, surely I wasn't that bad. Yeah. Could you tell when you had a batsman rattled? Um, yeah, probably, it's, it's an interesting one. You don't rattle batsmen with what you say. Mm. And a lot of people um, get confused with why sleds don't hate batsmen. Yes, I do hate batsmen, but <laughs> well, it was more in a situation to get me up for the contest. Mm. So mate, it was me convincing myself that I hated the bloke at the other end. Right, yeah. Um, so it wasn't, I had virtually nothing to do. Mm. With, with who it was if it had been my brother playing at, at the other end it, it would have been the same because yeah. in, in a contest you, you just and I, I and I must admit I, I really didn't make any effort to get to know opposition players mm. um, so when you played for Australia and went back to state cricket and when you played state cricket went back to club cricket mm. you know players say why don't you ease up on us or make you're a batsman yeah. <laughs> I'm a bowler yeah. and, and Steve and like everyone used to say of us in the Australian side how much we used to give the opposition. And Steve War always said, I gave him more crap playing against New South Wales than I gave any international yeah, player. Right. And yeah. I, I suppose it's the guys that you respect that you have the big battles with on the ground. So all, all the blokes that I can remember that, that you know, you just locked horns and, and pushed, mm. pushed around. So Mark Raypax of, of New Zealand, Robin Smith of, of England. Like the, the subcontinent guys were a little bit different. Mm. Um, they, they weren't. They weren't aggressive in nature, right? But yeah. um, certainly Mark Raypatch and, and Robin Smith and Michael Atherton mm. uh, to a certain yeah. extent. So you, you sort of go at them because you respect them. You don't go at them because they're, they're no good. Yeah. So and, you, and, we, <laughs> and people don't understand in 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 my day. It sounds so old, but <laughs> in in our era, we had team meetings, talk about strengths and weaknesses, and then talk about who we go at verbally. Right. So it was a, a team plan. Yeah, you, and yeah. there were there were blokes, you know, people. So in, in 89, 93, why didn't you why didn't you go with Gooch? 
Gadding or Gower. And you look at them, so well, mate, they're off limits. They're experienced players. Mm, right. So, mate, you, you know that it's going to be water off a duck's back and it's a waste of energy. And would that fire them up more than yeah. you'd wake so them against, up a bit? Against Pakistan, for instance, um, um, Javed me and Dad. Mm. You know, we just said no, no, Don't say anything. no, no verbal to Javed me and Dad. <laughs> and he was he was a champion. He loved the, he loved the conflict in the yeah. game. So if you if you went at him through frustration, he, he knew he that had, he had you. Yeah. But and that's and that's what I can't understand is that when people sledge through fl- frustration, you've lost the battle. So yeah. you, you sledge for a reason. Mm. Um, you ha- you have a go at at the opposition for a reason, either it's a team plan. And like I said, most of the time it was to get me going more yeah. than anything else. And do you think you bowled better when you were oh, fired yeah. up? Yeah. yeah. When I convinced myself that I hated the bloke at the other end, <laughs> it was easy to bowl to him. <laughs> and when when you got to know Blaze, like Stewie Law at Queensland mm. for a long time, he came out to bat against us. First time I saw him, I thought, right, I hate him. <laughs> Didn't know him. He's only a young kid. Just give it to him. <laughs> and I reckon for about four and a half years, his record against Victoria was no good. We did a Australian six-a-side uh, comp in Singapore, mm. and he was over there, and got over, got to know him on on the grog with him. <laughs> and he great bloke, yeah. and his record against Victoria after that was because oh, right. I just couldn't bring myself to hate him. <laughs> <laughs> did you have any batsmen that were your bunnies that you, in an international level that oh. you every time you'd bowl against them you thought I've got this bloke's measure? I talk talk about Richie Richardson. Yeah. yeah, he was a yeah. big bunny. I uh, got him out nine times, uh, more than anyone else that um, I dismissed. But having said that, the two factors about that is, number one, we played more cricket against the West Indies. Mm. So I played more test matches against Richie Richardson than anyone else. And yeah. when you talk about bunnies, you probably think about knocking someone over for mm. not many. Mm. I used to get Richie Richardson out for like 210, <laughs> 190, 170. Right. I think we got him out for about 90 one day. She's yeah. more happy. <laughs> but yeah, he, he was a fantastic player. And that top four of that West Indies mm. in that era, people talk about cricket. And they remember cricket and they talk about how intimidating the West Indies were. And mm. everyone talks about their four fast bowlers. Mm. Well, what about their top four for a, a fairly young, inexperienced bowling lineup? Gordon Greenwich, Desmond Haynes, Richie Richardson, Viv Richards. <laughs> yeah, and awesome. you're standing at the top of your mark and people saying, get a wicket. <laughs> Why? <laughs> like, we get Gordon Greenwich out, Richie Richardson comes, comes in. in. <laughs> we get him out, Viv Richards yeah. comes in. Like, there's, there's no real incentive to take a wicket, yeah. is there? <laughs> Were they the best batsmen you bowled oh, to? Oh, yeah. yeah they, um, Viv Richard, Richie Richardson, um, and Gordon Greenwich, Desmond Haynes as, a, as an opening combination. Mm. Um, mate, they, they ruled the world for 20 years, the West Indies, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. Um, they, had a, they had a very strong side, and um, their, their fast bowlers could intimidate because of what the batsmen had done. They had runs on the board. Mm. You, you'd, you'd think we, we knocked the, the West Indies over. If you knocked them over 150, you'd be thinking, oh, how good are we? <laughs> yeah. And then we get knocked over for 120. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we're not that good after all. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the West Indies were a fantastic side. And, and like I said, that top four. And mm. then you had Gus Logie and, at six and Dujon at, at seven. And then you had Malcolm Marshall. Mm. And then you get through those guys, and, and Kirtley Ambrose would come out and make a 40. Yeah. You just scratch your head thinking, what, what are we doing wrong? <laughs> but um, yeah, they were a good side. Pakistan, Pakistan, and India, uh, to play them in their conditions would have been yeah. really tough going. Yeah. Uh, to play them in Australia, you know, the, 
like I, I mentioned Sonny Ilkavaska before, he, he was an outstanding player, and later in my career, Sachin Tanduka. And you could see, like Sachin Tanduka came over as a 17-year-old, got a big 100, it might have been a big 100 in, in, um, in Sydney, and you think, well, slow, low, turning, wicket, that's going to suit him. Mm. Wait till we get this young bloke over to Perth, we're going to give it to <laughs> yeah. him over there. Yeah, we bowled India out for 170 and Sasson got 110. Jeez. And you, you knew that he was going to be a fantastic player yeah. and, and that was at the start of his career. Mm. Coming he into was, bowl to him, he, yeah. there's nothing of him. Did you think, how is, yeah. this, how is this bloke yeah. so good? He yeah. just You can't bowl short to him because he's, he gets under it so quickly. Mm. And then when you, you fall over, he's so, he, he scores all around the wicket. Mm. He, he's so patient. Like he, he was Even as a 17, 18-year-old, after that 100 in, in Perth, Remember sitting down with Steve Waugh, Tim May, Ian Healy. And at the game, we took, we were sitting there talking and, and AB was sitting on the other side of the room. And Alan Border had just broken the, the test yeah. runs record. And we sort of looked, he sort of looked up, well, what are you blokes on about? Congratulations, AB. What for you? Your test uh, record runs, fantastic. This bloke next door is going to go past it at some stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Yeah. <laughs> you just knew at a young age that he was going to be a sensational yeah. player. Um, when you were batting against the likes of Garner, Ambrose, Walsh, did you ever did you ever chirp up against them when you no. were batting? No. <laughs> no, not when you were batting. No. <laughs> then pretty much not when you were bowling either, <laughs> to be honest. Um, you know, I suppose we, we had a, a thing for a long time and – and the old, the old fast bowlers rule, you look after me, I'll look after you. Mm. And that, that probably come to a head in Perth in 90, 92, 93. So 92, I think it was. Jeff Lawson got hit. Mm-hmm. And it was at a stage... Is that was, a broken jaw? Yeah, broken yeah. jaw. Um, it was at a stage where, you know, we used to bowl pitch up to the West Indies bowlers because, you know, thought we look after them, they look after mm. us. That, that wasn't the case. <laughs> so uh, when that, for me, was a, a line in the sand moment where... We're going to cop it. We've got to give it back to him. Yeah. And Steve War, you've got to give it to him. Yeah. You got to. It's all, it's all right for you. You can be like come back. But it was at that time that our, our mentality changed a little bit. Mm. Um, that we we had to give it back to him. Yeah. And the West Indies had a a very simple game plan for for a long time. Go hard at the captain, bowl out the the top seven, mm. and then kill the bottom four. <laughs> and. And that's the the mantra that Australia took on when we when we were doing yeah, well. Was yeah. the difference in a game might be, you know, the last four or five putting on 50-60 runs. So if you're yeah. batting in the bottom four, if you come out when I when I was bowling, my job was not only to to get you out, mm. but to plant the seed that you don't want to bat against Australia for yeah. the next four years. That's great. So it's it's all, it gets back to all about that intimidation stuff. Mm. Is that you, you go out the West Indies. Like as a as a number nine batsman, you go out and you knew you're just going to get bounced, and you just thought, well, mate, there's only one shot you can play, <laughs> and then when you started playing that, it was okay. But yeah. you just you just knew you were going to cop it. <laughs> when you came into the test team, you were saying players had left for the Rebel team, uh, gone to South Africa. You came in at a tough time for Australian cricket, but yeah. as your career went on, Australia got better with you guys, Border, Simpson yeah. as coach. Well, Alan Border was captain. Bob Simpson as coach and um, chairman of selectors at the time, Laurie Sewell. Mm. Uh, those three blokes deserve a lot of credit for where cricket in Australia got to. Mm. So they came in at a, at, a, at a real bad time. So just after we rebuilt from World Series cricket in the late 70s, mm. uh, as I said, we lost those 17, 18 better players to the Rebel Tour in 1985. And they, they virtually had to start again. And 
there's no. I, I normally say arguably, but I'd, I'd say no doubt about. It. We, we were the worst team playing international cricket, mm. um, picking blokes that weren't ready. But what what they did as a group of selectors was that they picked some senior players and each senior players to lead the way. Mm. They had David Hooks, Ray Bright, Alan Border that had played a, a bit of Test cricket, and then they picked, I, I suppose, a couple of guys that had an earned a reputation for being tough and uncompromising. In, in Shield cricket, mm. uh, David Boone, Jeff Marsh, and I'll probably throw myself in that category. And then they just pick young talent. So you, you ever think about blokes like Steve Waugh that got picked after a handful of Shield games, Ian mm. Healy that got picked after four or five Shield matches, Bruce Reed that got picked from nowhere, a little bit later on, Glenn McGrath and, and Shane Warne mm. virtually get picked from nowhere. And, um, you know, they, those blokes turned out to be household names, haven't they? Mm, yeah, that's like right. You, they just rattle off. And what they did, they identified young talent and not only did they have the courage to pick and they had the courage to stick by them. Mm. So through tough times, and, and you knew there was going to be tough times, but within the group, while outside we were getting baked, within the group we could see light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Like we, were, we were training better. We, we went from losing Test Series um, 3-0 to being beaten 2-1. So... Slowly, we weren't, yeah. So it was just a slow turnaround. And one of the first ones, um, and Ian Redpass, Al Connolly, and, and Keith Stackpole got into the Victorian setup when they took over there. It was the same mentality that um, Shimo had with the Australian side was we might be good enough to win, but we can be good enough to stop the other team from winning. Right. And that's where you earn credibility. Yeah. yeah. So all of a sudden, it wasn't about winning or losing. You know, it was about being as positive as we can. If the win's there, we have a real crack at it. But if we can't win, it's not a matter of giving up the ghost. Mm. It's fighting it out. Yeah. And if they if they beat Australia from probably 86 onwards, probably 86, 87, um, then they had a fight on their hands. Right. It really didn't show that series against England. But England were a, a good side full of confident, competent, uh, players that have been around the system. Mm. And you had a look at the Australian side, and it was mm. Alan Border that played a few test matches, um, and, the, and the rest were just uh, young blokes. Yeah, that's 89 when you went over there. No, no, that was 86, 87. 87, yeah. And then two years later, um, you know, we went over there, and we'd virtually had the same side together for for a long time, and they'd, they'd lost a heap of their senior players, so mm. they were grooming a, a few young players. And then 93, um, they had their tour to South Africa. Mm. So they went through... Um, in 93, what we went through in 85. Right, yeah. You got you got 31 wickets in that series, didn't you? Um, yeah, did okay. Um, opportunities to bowl. Um, we were in the first, second test match, Craig McDermott had a twisted bow. Um, so you bowl, bowl more. Then I think I, I took two lots of four from memory, but if if McDermott had a play, you don't, you don't get that opportunity right. to bowl. Yeah. Um, and then we had Paul Rifle that came in, took 19 wickets in... Mm. Uh, three or four test matches. Yeah. Brendan Julian was was fantastic. Shane Warne took 34 wickets. Tim May took, I think, 25 wickets. Yeah. So it was just a pretty even, I suppose, spread of, of wickets. And the runs, mate, when you had Steve Waugh, Mark Taylor, Alan Board, David Boone, yeah. Mark, <laughs> Mark Waugh. Yeah. I can't even remember the other bloke yeah. in the side. Slats. Yeah. So Slats was at the top. Yeah. And he was scoring runs. Mate, it's so much easier when you've got runs on the board mm. as a bowler. Yeah. And then, you, as a batting group, it's so much easier when you when you got a good bowling group. Yeah. And we just believed that we were pretty good at the time. Once you wrapped up, then you wrapped up in about from Test cricket about ninety four, ninety five. 
I stopped playing in '94. I had I had high hopes of getting back in, but um, mm. I, was, I was waiting for a sort of a plane crash or something um, <laughs> would have helped my cause. But um, you know, after '94, I came back from England. Had the season out here with a knee injury. Went to South Africa, and then, mate, I, I got replaced by a bloke that didn't hang around too long. Uh, bloke by the name of. Um, she was uh, Glenn McGrath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, Glenn McGrath had sort of come into the side. Paul Rifle yeah. um, was pushing through. Damien Fleming came into the one-day side. Yeah. I, was, I was 34 and, and knackered, physically yeah. knackered. And I was, you're just looking at it. And at, at that time, too, uh, birth of my daughter. So all of a sudden, cricket wasn't number one priority. Mm. If cricket's not your number one priority, um, you, you're struggling. So yeah. It, where I used to get up and train each morning, so I'd go at five o'clock each morning and go swimming and just take pressure off your legs and that. And that was a big build-up for a couple of years. When we had my daughter, if I woke up and she was crying, give my wife a bit of a break, you'd stay home, um, feed, feed her, sit up with her for a couple of hours. So cutting, when I say cutting corners, uh, you're cutting corners as in the training you're mm. doing. So I wasn't training as much as I should have been, but my choice. Yeah. And probably... Mentally knew, physically I wasn't capable okay. anymore, so yeah. it was a pretty easy decision. Yeah, right. The era you played in, that the time you played, the early 80s to the you know, mid-90s, well, for people my age, is the quintessential Australian cricket. It's when anything you look back at now, you're heavily involved in it, the stretching in, you know, in yeah. front of the crowd with thousands of people doing right. the stretches behind you, the licking AB's ear, yeah. uh, the intimidation, like that much, <laughs> yeah. the intimidation yeah. in the bowling. Yeah. You were yourself. You were clearly being who you are and expressive. Do you think that's harder for players now to be who yeah, they are? Is. People ask me now, with the money involved, would I rather play in this era? And you just say, hell no. Mate, the, the era that we played in was good, tough cricket. Now, the guys playing now are better cricketers than we'd ever want to be because mm. it's 24-7 yeah. that's all they do so I'll look at the fielding I'll look at the bowling you look at the batting and but the bowling's come a long way and the batting had to come a long way to compete and, and vice versa so it's just got better and, and the planning now mate playing cricket now isn't about the batting bowling fielding it's a science mm. to get yourself prepared to play the game and then it's almost that the recovery is more important than the, the yeah. game itself so, so you used to have a couple of beers after oh, a game? Mate, yeah, so we used to ice down. Yeah, they'll really look after us. And, and Bob Simpson always said to us, you blokes amaze me. It's, you go, you're playing in Perth when it's 40 degrees. You're playing Brisbane where it's you know, 34 and 90% humidity. Uh, you're playing Melbourne, it gets to 38 degrees. You play in England and it's 21 degrees. You come off, open a beer, and the first thing you say is, geez, it was hot out there today. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what terror. And, and you sort of sit there and you think, yeah, that's, that's pretty well right. Um, <laughs> And while, while we had more liberties, I suppose, the, the common rule of thumb, um, Simo's rule, was before midnight's your time, mm-hmm. after midnight's cricket time. Okay. So that's basically being down at midnight, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be trouble. And occasionally you strayed. Yeah. But not too many blokes strayed when it was a test match. Mm. Um, you always looked after yourself. And, you know, we, we, you go out and you hear the, the sportsman's nights and the... And how much we drank, and how, oh mate, myth is always greater than the truth. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. But mate, we had a good time. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. It was more of a, a drinking culture back then. Did There's you no drink? Doubt. We we came off. We, we come off the ground. So if we bowled, and we'll bowl the next day. You come off the ground. Um, if you need any treatment, you have treatment. You have a beer. If you needed ice, 
you put ice packs on for 20 minutes, you probably have two beers. You have a shower, you have a beer. On the way back to the hotel, you have a beer. You go out for tea, you sit down and have tea, and you say, what did you do last night? I had a quiet beer. You've had a dozen beers. Like, that's a quiet night. That's during a test match. That's during a test match. Yeah. So you, you sort of sit there and uh, now, and, and let's face it, like I, the guys play that much more cricket now. So mm-hmm. there's the 2020, the, the one day is a test. We, we used to play minimal 2020, uh, sorry, one days. There was no 2020s. Mm. And the test matches were a big thing. If, if we had a big year, we'd probably play eight test matches in a year. These guys mm. play eight plus every yeah. year. And you sort of sit back and scratch your head and, and people don't understand why they have this rotation policy, why they rest players. Mm. Number one, physically, it's mm. important that, that you've got the best players at the right time. Mm. And number two, and probably more importantly, is is mentally, is that you don't want the bowlers or you don't want the players pulling up the game thinking, oh, I'm sick of this. Yeah. you just got to keep blokes fresh. Fresh, yeah. Now, if you're fresh mentally, you can override physical problems. Mm. We talked about the drinking culture there. Did yeah. you ever take on Booney in the trip no. to, the, to the UK? Is that true, the, the 50-odd cans oh, on a flight well, to the... Yeah, 50-odd people say, listen, I, I don't want to get Booney into any more trouble. <laughs> it was 53. Um, yeah, so as I said, mate, people say that they're never going to be touched. No. <laughs> mate, they, get on, they get on a plane now and drink bloody ice water <laughs> yeah. and have hydrolites and shit like that. <laughs> yeah. So Greg, Greg Campbell and myself on the way home in in um, '89 thought we're going to have a crack at this. Mm. So we got into the the Qantas bar at um, at Heathrow, had a couple of beers there. So we counted them. <laughs> yeah. So I jump on the plane, couple of beers, couple of beers. I look around, Greg Campbell, <laughs> tongue hanging out, full health <laughs> thought, you weak sod. <laughs> and then uh, I, I woke up in in Singapore um, <laughs> with with my tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth. And, uh, once you wrapped up your career did you you go into the workforce or did you i know you Um, you were a selector there for a while uh, but did you go into it was that was a probably 10 years after i got out of playing um when when you say i went into the workforce Mm. all all the work i do is um uh, pr and promotions so ambassador roles and and whatever so i work with a a mob which started off as tube makers uh went to one steel they had a franchise around Australia, Meadowland. So I worked with them for... I remember your Meadowland yeah, ads in, for, in my hometown. Yeah, <laughs> for 21 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that was a really good relationship for, for a long time. And mm. um, all, all the stuff I do now, so charity functions, corporate functions, mm. sports functions. Yeah. Um, do, do a fishing show, reality TV. Yes. You, you've touched on. <laughs> um, you know, reality TV. I'm, I'm a celebrity well, get me out of here the first uh, season. Well, yeah, and then there was Celebrity Overhaul. Seven. I did two seasons of that. <laughs> so that was all about um, well-being and, and not so much weight loss, but well-being mm. and looking after yourself. Went on the first one, and then a year later they asked me to go on the next one because um, they probably still thought I was a fat prick and <laughs> need to lose some more weight. So that, that was really enjoyable. And then cele- I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. The first the first run of that of the Australian, mm. um, people said, what was that like? I said, mate, what do you see on TV is 45 minutes of the day before. Mm. It's just, there's nothing to do. And when it got <laughs> sold to me, they said, you're going to get bored. And I said, I don't get bored. And I said, no, no, there's nothing to do. Mate, I do nothing better than anyone <laughs> I know. Like, it, it's a great ability 
to be able to sit around and do nothing. Yeah. You try. A lot, a lot of people just get edgy. And when we first got in there, everyone was jumping up and down. There's there's no no social media and, oh, I need my phone and yeah. oh, I've got to text someone. Or, <laughs> and I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, how And every every time I lay down, I just fall asleep and start snoring. Just. <laughs> Barry all said to me one time, he said, what have you done? I said, oh, I had a big lead in. He said, why is that? I said, well, thought, if we're here for six weeks and there's no grog, I've got to get me Phil. And he said, see, I, I went the other way. So for four weeks out, Barry said he weaned himself off stuff. So he stopped eating big meals and, and yeah. got himself prepared for it. I, yeah. I reckon about three days later, he came back, oh, should have gone your way. My way's not working. <laughs> was um, that, did you have a huge feed once you got out? Was it oh, well, that first big I, meal? I, I, lost, I lost 17 Ks in six weeks. Jeez. And it took me almost four weeks to put it back on. Yeah. So I, I got over there and no alcohol, um, like limited alcohol, no no crap food and on the flight back from South Africa I just thought this this is a great foothold <laughs> to the rest of my life yeah. I found out I don't need grog yeah. and I don't need to eat you know, um, fast foods and shitty food mm. so all, all the all the foods that we had like there was only small portions mm. and, and I survived yeah. I can get through come through customs jump in the in the car and my missus with the three kids there mm. and Susie God bless her soul Said, what's the tea? So I arrived home about 6.30. I've ordered a pizza and I've got a slab of Corona in the beer in the fridge. <laughs> oh, I'm home, baby. I'm home. Yeah, and just continued for the next six weeks to just put on that bloody weight that I lost. <laughs> yeah, that's oh. great. You mentioned your fishing show there. Yeah. Merview's fishing on seven, mate. I've seen yeah. it. How, yeah. you, you still got seasons of that coming up? Yeah, still you? got seasons. So season five just finished and they're mm. showing the... the um, replays of that and we started filming for season six which goes there in in july next year not a bad little yeah, uh, mate i've always loved my fishing and yeah and because cricket's a summer sport it did impede it but um at the end of the season used to go over to coffin bay oh yeah uh, and yeah. fish over there in, yeah. in south australia so just yeah. out of port lincoln so out, out off farm beach chasing whiting occasionally we go off port lincoln chase some snapper and whatever mm. See any great um, whites out there off that? Um, well, there's talk of it. So yeah. we went to, what's a dangerous reef out there? Mm. It's stinking hot one day. I said, mate, we've got to, got to go for a swim. Blokes no, don't go for a swim. <laughs> and uh, blokes tip cold water over my back, like ice water. I'll turn around, do that again, I'll throw you in. <laughs> now, he said something that I thought was pretty strange at the time. He said, mate, you throw me in here, I, I wouldn't get wet. I thought, that's funny to say. Yeah. I said, what do you mean? A bit, bit, bit later on, I said, what do you mean? He said, it's, mate. There are that. This is White Pointer yeah. capital, and I, I was like, "But the water's clear." He said, "Yeah, but you can see down to about forty feet. That's what beyond. What's beyond that? <laughs> yeah, that yeah. You just don't trust, and you're just thinking, oh, geez. <laughs> but uh, that was a good time, and then that that sort of dried up, and I started going up to Darwin. Uh, mate had a shack on Bino Harbour, mm-hmm. and we used to go up there for two weeks every year, and still head up to Darwin. Love it up in Darwin, uh, Daly River. Uh, so I go fishing in the Daly River every year with uh, the Barra Classic. But, um, yeah, this the opportunity to come up and do a fishing show, and my concern was I'm not an expert. Like, I like my fishing, mm. and I'm, I'm more of a dangler than yeah. an angler. They put bait on a hook, go out, and not not sure what I'm targeting. Yeah. But, you, but when you fish with people that know what you're doing, but know what they're doing, how yeah, well, easy is it? <laughs> yeah. It's bloody great. That's all you need, just yeah. someone, yeah. yeah. Um, so we're... We're heading up to Dippery Lodge, which is Northern Territory, start of October for 10 days, doing some more filming. Um, we've just been down to Eildon chasing trout. Great. Um, so the, to travel around Australia 
and, and to see Australia, but to do it while you're fishing, uh, oh, to me, is, yeah. that's just ideal. Bloody yeah. 2019 now, can you still walk down the street without somebody yelling out, big move or move, get him up here? Depends where you are, yeah. to, be, to be honest. And yeah, no, thank uh, Billy Birmingham for yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get him up here, yeah. I want to move him. But yeah, I mean, all, all the work I do is, is you know, people, people ask, do you get sick of signing autographs or people asking for selfies? Mm. Or, and and you, you never get sick of it. I reckon it's an honour, to be mm. honest. There's, there's a time and a place. And, and sometimes people have got to understand that you just haven't got time. Yeah. Um, and people say one autograph, but if you're in, a, if I'm in a pub, and one person's asked for an autograph, there might Everybody be 10, said, 15 people. <laughs> yeah. well, if you say no to the first one, you don't get asked again. Yeah. If you say yes to the first one, yeah. you're just signing for the rest of the <laughs> yeah. night. So you, you upset one person. Yeah. Oh, you're a prick. Well, yeah, yeah. If yeah. you think so, <laughs> um, but you don't get hammered for the night. But, yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's a, it's an interesting one. Uh, it's good good to be recognised because of the work that I do. Because there's um, been there's been Merv Hughes lookalike competitions over the years as oh, well. Like, yeah, they were all part of the part of the group that I was ambassador for. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> over the years, um, yeah. I reckon the first one was Powers Beers. Yeah. Jeez, that, that was way back in the early nineties. Yeah. So they had and they had me judging, and I'm I'm looking at blokes thinking they look more like me than I do. <laughs> I think I watched the clip on YouTube of that. <laughs> yeah. And there's a couple of guns. Oh, oh there's Mer- Oh, no, that's not him. No, I'm, just, I'm just looking at Blake and just thinking, Jesus. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, it's been, it's been a fascinating ride. Um, no, and you know, the, media, the media make you or break you. And certainly in my time, the media made me. So I had a bit of a rough, rough patch with them for the first probably three or four years. Mm. And then when things turn um, and they get on side... My, the the power that the media has mm. is, is phenomenal. I'm certainly grateful for for everything that they've done for me. Yeah, um, there's there's no doubt about that. You you cop a bit of a hard time, but when you get implanted in the Australian team, mm. the media either love you or hate you. And uh, thank God they 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 love me, and um, all the media I seem to get was pretty positive. Yeah, well, and the uh, public certainly loved you. That, yeah. That's for sure. Oh. yeah. Mate, well, that is absolutely awesome. Thanks so much for taking it easy with me today. No worries. It's been an absolute and, and pleasure. taking it really. <laughs> thank, thank you for coming to my side of the world. Oh, no worries at all. Bloody good little cafe here. This is this is my second home. Andy's Cafe. Uh, Andy's Cafe. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. I, I basically live here <laughs> most mornings. When, when the kids were at school, they're all sort of left now and, and driving, but when I was at school, you used to drop them off at school mm. and then come here. Straight so got my post office box next door, got my bank next door, paid the bills, got my tax lotto down the road here. It's just a nice little hub. Well, so I've been coming I, here for 20 years. I met you when you got out of your car and a bloke was like, hey, Merv, and you shook his hand and you come, they opened the door for you. They're yeah. like, same normal coffee, Merv. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they know that I like the uh, the latte in the, in the big one. Cause I, do, you, do you watch uh, TV? Yeah. NCIS? Yeah. yeah. Jeff Ray Gibbs? Yeah. Always has a coffee, doesn't he? In a takeaway. <laughs> I never have a cup. Always get in a takeaway. Take right. Just feel like Jeff Ray Gibbs. Yeah. I feel like Solving crimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, thanks very much for that. Not a problem. Cheers. Hey, thanks very much for listening. If you'd like to book Merv for an event, You can get in touch with his uh, management company. That's Bravo Talent Management. Their website is bravotalentmgmt.com. So that's bravotalentmgmt.com. Get in contact with them. Book Merv for one of your events, sporting events or whatever you'd like. He's a great speaker and a great fella. Uh, You can get around him on Twitter. He's at MervHughes332. 
and he's on Instagram, Merv Hughes Fishing. Check that out as well. Uh, thanks very much for listening. If you listened on Spotify, uh, please send your friends there. That would be much appreciated. Uh, if you listened on iTunes or the old, you know, Apple Podcasts, as it's known now, uh, tell your friends to go there. That would be much appreciated. Uh, give it a like. Give it a rating. Uh, subscribe. All those things. Excellent stuff. You can also listen on my website, danielconnell.com.au. While you're on there, you may as well join the mailing list. I'll send you some fun stuff. You can also check out my gigs on the mailing list, uh, all upcoming live stand-up comedy shows. And if you're in a likey mood, you may as well get on Instagram and check out my Instagram page, Daniel Connell Comedy. I've also got a Facebook page, Daniel Connell Comedy, and I'm on Twitter, at Daniel Connell 3 uh, Yeah, get around that stuff. Good on you. But that's about it for this week, so thanks very much, and take it easy.